Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? My name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And you are listening to Paratruth Radio. We are broadcasting to you live at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the one and only Blog Talk Radio. Thank you all for joining us and just a little bit of information uh, to get out there to you. Uh, first and foremost, if you've been listening to us and haven't done it yet, check us out on Facebook.com forward slash Paratruth Radio. Uh, also check us out on Twitter.com forward slash Paratruth Radio. Like us, follow us. We need all the help we can get out there, so <laughs> come on along and join us. That we do. Uh-huh. Um, if at any time... During the show, you'd like to chat with us. We do have a chat up. Uh, if you're listening, tuning in, you'll be able to see that uh, on your page. Uh, and, of course, during the show, if you have any questions whatsoever, uh, feel free to call us at 914-205-5558. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you, so please join us. Um, Justin, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. Welcome back from vacation, man. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's, it's bittersweet to be back, <laughs> to <laughs> say the least. <laughs> Last episode, trying to do it all by my lonesome. Uh, you did well. You did fine. I tuned in at the end of there, and you were doing well, and I listened to the first part of it. Yeah. So it, it, went, it went good. It went really good. And David was an awesome guest, so. Mm-hmm. I told you it would be. I told you it would be. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, today we have on a very special guest, his name is Don Dunderi. He wrote a book entitled UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. Uh, without further ado, let's get him here on the show with us. Don, are you there? I'm there. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, so this book, UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions, can you tell us a little bit about it before? I certainly can. The book makes three propositions, and the book basically takes 231 pages to make them pretty clearly. The first proposition is that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial spaceships. Proposition two is that some of those spaceships have crews, extraterrestrial crews. And proposition three is that some of those crews catch and release people like us to study us. Proposition one, I think, is established beyond reasonable doubt, which is the standard of proof you need to convict someone of a crime. Propositions two and three, I think, are established on the balance of probabilities, which, as any lawyer will tell you, is the standard of proof required in a civil case. That is, it's a less rig- rigorous standard of proof, but nevertheless one that convinces a judge. So those are propositions one, two, and three, and I explain why they're true, or why I think they're true, the history of what's known about those propositions, and finally, what should be done about them. That's the gist of the book. In a few words, that covers basically 231 pages of text. All right. Well, thank you. Um, Justin, I know I believe you have the first question here that you'd like to ask. All right. Now, Don, I saw through all the different cases, the different similarities in each case with the, the sightings, the sightings of the EATs and the UFOs as well as the alien abductions. What was the most common in all of those, um, in your opinion? Well, first of all, there are two classes of evidence. One has to do with UFOs, and the other has to do with the abductions. And I think, as I said just before, they're separate. 
Mm. The, UFO, the UFO evidence, the evidence that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles, I think that's established beyond reasonable doubt. And the right. evidence covered in about the first three or four chapters of the book, hundreds of people have seen objects at low altitudes hovering that we don't know how to build, that fly faster and uh, maneuver in ways that we can't do, that get chased away by American jet fighters and jet fighters of foreign nations, and that have been recorded on radar, have been photographed many times, and have uh, been videoed as well. That evidence is cumulative and overwhelming, and when it's separated from all the nonsense that's written about UFOs, makes it unequivocal and clear that some of what people report as UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles. The second parts of the evidence have to do with the crews in UFOs, and humanoids getting out of UFOs have been seen and spotted for many years, mostly little creatures about three feet, four feet tall, wearing something that looks like what we would call a spacesuit. And they walk around and pick up soil samples and do that sort of stuff, and there have been many cases reported like that. And the third thing, that is, humanoids or ETs exist, and the third thing is there are cases reported in which people have involuntarily come into contact with them. In other words, they've been uh, snatched out of their cars or out of their bedrooms, tested or out of canoes or off docks, and have been taken into UFOs, probed, put back, and uh, one way or another remember the tale afterwards. That evidence, because it's more subjective, although it's consistent, is a little less convincing than the evidence about the existence of, of extraterrestrial UFOs. That's mm. why I say it's on the balance of probabilities, not uh, a dead certainty, if you want to put it that way. And right. those are the things. The consistencies in every case are strong. And in the, <clears throat> excuse me, in the case of abductions, they're very strong as well, but they're all personal reports. And nobody has actually, as far as I know, videotaped an abduction in process. So we don't have quite the same kind of data that we right. have for some of the better UFO cases. Right. And in all the cases where people were abducted, would they have even had a chance to do videotaping where, like, they had a phone or some type of camera on them? Well, the cases I report actually all come before cell phone cameras, and so I can't oh, tell okay. you the answer to that. And uh, nobody was standing around with an old-fashioned uh, tape recorder, a uh, you know, VHS tape recorder, right. so I don't know. It hasn't – basically, this phenomenon – modern technology hasn't caught up with it, if you want to put it that way. And so nobody's right. been abducted while holding a cell phone and taking a picture of the thing approaching. So I don't have an answer to that. As far as I know, there's no such evidence. Well, and I, I mean, I saw the pictures of people taking photographs of the UFO, so – I thought maybe they even might have snapped a picture of an t- extraterrestrial as they were being abducted, but again, I've never done that much research into it except through reading your book. Well, no, there is a picture in my book, which was taken by a couple of people in northern Quebec, of a UFO at close range, and that's right, authenticated. I did that. Yeah, but that's, that's it. There was no abduction involved so far as anyone knows. They just happened okay. to see one at, at uh, close range and got out of there as quickly as they could. Yeah. Well, and as most people would, because it would literally scare the crap out of me if a UFO was following me. So. Yeah, I don't particularly want to come in close contact either. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, in my research, I've noticed that the majority of alien abductions tend to happen at night. In your research, do you find that to be about the same, and why do you think that is? Well, first of all, let's be specific about something. I have not personally investigated a single abduction case. 
Okay. All the ones that are reported in my book are cases that have been thoroughly investigated by other people. I've just collected their evidence and presented it uh, in a couple of chapters. But one obvious answer to the question is that if this is going on, the people who are doing it don't want you to see it alongside Interstate 5 as uh, you're driving from Los Angeles to San Francisco. So they prefer to do their studies at night so as to not mm -hmm. make it as public. That seems pretty self-evident to me. Um, in other words, these things happen at night because they're harder to track at night, and people are more in a more compromising position at night. They can't yell and scream and call the police right away, basically. So mm -hmm. they happen at night, and uh, I presume that uh, part of the reason is simply security on the part of the people doing the abduction. Okay. One question that I have for you, just because you've been collecting these um and I know that there's been cases of at least UFO sightings I think, recent, in recent times. Um, why do you think that it's not been reported as much now as it was in the past, at least from no, your point? I'm sorry, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, it's not clear what the frequency of, of sightings is or what the frequency of abductions is. There's very spotty evidence of any in a systematic way about abductions because they don't usually come to light unless you happen to hear about them in some roundabout fashion. There okay. is plenty of evidence about UFO sightings. It's mostly collated on a publicly available site called Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, based at the moment in California, okay. and they publish a monthly rundown of people who of the sightings that have been reported to them, and they make an effort to collect them. I can't recall the latest figures, but they run into the hundreds every month. So there's certainly no drop-off in sightings in North America, and they also cover other parts of the world as well. Now, one of the other things that um, I found interesting through reading the book is the different shapes of it um, have been cited. What's your theory of the shapes? Well, that's interesting. First of all, there are incredible variations in the size and shape of the unidentified flying objects that are pretty clearly uh, recognized as extraterrestrial vehicles. There's the classic flying saucer shape, which is basically very thin with a bulge on the top and maybe 10 to 20 meters wide in feet that would be, say, 30 to 50 feet wide or, or 60 feet wide, maybe 10 feet high, 10 or 12 feet high. Then there's the kind similar shape with a bubble dome on top and critters inside that you can see. You might call that the standard sports model uh, UFO because okay. uh, they, they are, they're small. Then there are, as you may have read, giant UFOs that have been sighted in various places and times over <laughs> the United States and Belgium. Yep. Triangular objects, hundreds of yards long, uh, literally long as a football field in some cases, hundreds of yards wide. Uh, unclear how thick or tall because you can't see that from the ground. But mm -hmm. these things have also been reported, and have been reported uh, pretty steadily, off, uh, regularly but intermittently from the 60s. So they come in all <laughs> sizes. They come in a variety of shapes. And um, how they get around is another question altogether, and I haven't a clue. It's not my line of work, for one thing, but uh, right. <laughs> the, the variety of sizes is great. And I'm talking about reliably reported sizes, too. They range from yeah. immense to small. And they're all not made by us. That's well, the other one, right. Yeah, it's obvious if we come up with that technology by now, you'd think we would have. 
Well, one of the big. Not at all. Sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just about to say I don't understand the technology. As far as I know, no one understands the technology. The yeah. best guess about the technology, and is a in a book written by a man named Paul R. Hill, called <laughs> Unconventional Flying Objects. It was published in 1997 by Hampton Roads Press, which also is the publisher of my book, so it's a bit of a plug for the press, but it in fact is oh, yeah. an excellent book. <laughs> and it's also been reissued by Hampton Roads Press this, this year. So his book suggests that they, the extraterrestrials, have developed an anti-gravity drive. Now that sounds like science fiction, because as far as we're concerned, it is science fiction. We don't know how to do it. But he is an engineer, yeah. an aeronautical engineer, and putting what evidence he had together, he concluded that the only system that would leave, give the performance that UFOs were observed to have and have the after effects that UFOs were observed not to have. In other words, no great, not very high radiation, no giant plumes of hot air and so hot fire and stuff, that the yeah. explanation was an anti-gravity drive with some ionizing radiation around the UFO to provide a, a glow, which they do have at night. So that was his the closest guess, but he didn't claim to know how to make a anti-gravity drive, and so far as I know, nobody does. Yeah, no one that I know of either. I mean, well, there's always theory, but... Yeah, there are some theories out there, but as far as I know, they haven't been developed into technology. Right. <laughs> um, Eric, do you think this is about a good time to take our first break? Uh, I think it is. All right. <clears throat> All right, folks, um, we're going to go to Eric's random fact of the day and a little bit of music, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Most of us have candles sitting around in our house. And let's face it. Typically, we light them and then forget all about them for a couple of hours. However, we might think twice if we knew just how hot they truly burn. Did you know that a candle typically burns at 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit? As if the temperature wasn't enough, the U.S. Fire Administration currently estimates that candles are responsible for approximately 10,000 residential fires each year, along with 1,000 civilian injuries, 85 fatalities, and $120 million in property loss. So the next time you light a candle, think twice before leaving it alone.
What's up, folks? We're back. We're back. We're back. Woo woo. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you are just joining us, what's going on? Where have you been? We started 30 seconds ago, approximately. Well, that's the time we have left, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Roughly about a while ago. 20 minutes ago. 20 minutes. A little over 20 minutes, folks. Man, where am I today? Where's my head today? <laughs> <laughs> You're not watching uh, the show, man. Hey, it's it's been a long week. I'm still not off the uh, jet lag yet. Oh yeah, that's true too. <laughs> uh, um. Anyway, for those of you who've been with us the whole show, thank you for joining us. Uh, for those of you just tuning in, we are speaking with Don Dundir. Don, sorry, <laughs> Don Dundiri. Uh He is the author of UFOs, ETs, and alien abductions. Uh, Don, you still with us? I am. All right. Uh, thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. Um, now, in your well, first and foremost, there's this ongoing debate between ufologists and just anyone who studies aliens as to whether or not the extraterrestrials that come to Earth and abduct people are known as the reptilians or the greys. Now, in your book, you mentioned that the majority of the aliens seen by those being abducted are humanoid. Can you give us a description as to what exactly humanoid is? Well, the standard alien, both of science fiction and of the accounts of people who've been abducted, is a so-called gray. Some creature with two arms, two legs, uh, very little sexual differentiation, a gray skin or a covering, clothes covering, it's not clear which, narrow (laughs) neck, strong, four fingers, and a tapering a head that tapers to a pointed chin with large black eyes, almond-shaped, that are, are very large, and vestigial, that is almost not noticeable, openings for ears, nose, and mouth. That's the classic gray, and that's the kind that's often reported and sometimes drawn afterwards by people who've been abducted. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now, in all of the cases that you got through the book, um, a lot of them say they um, communicated telepathically. Is that just how people remembered it or something that is kind of well-known? Well, I don't think it's well-known outside the people who've studied abductions, but I think it happens. These people, the humans who are abducted, describe the aliens often as talking to them in some unintelligible series of sounds which they understand in their head as if they'd been spoken to in English. As a matter of fact, all of the alien abductions I've described are by English-speaking people. So the answer is they communicate in something that can be heard audibly, but that sound does not convey meaning itself. It is translated somehow into English in the abductee's head. Now, how that's done, I don't know, but that's what we ordinarily call telepathy. And... um trying to think of the best term. I guess they would use telepathy as a universal translator. Well, that's the uh, way... I understand. Well, presumably. Uh, however, for whatever reason, that's the way they communicate with the people they snatch up and study. And the people who are snatched up and studied pretty well universally report that what they're hearing is, quote, in their head, unquote. In other words, okay. the expressions, the the sentiments or the statements that they're getting, they are 
hearing as if they were from inside their own heads, but they're obviously right. being communicated from outside. Right. So basically what we're hearing then is that uh, the majority of these aliens don't speak at all whatsoever, even to each other. Like, Has there ever been a case that you know of or that you've read up on where someone has heard another type of language, like clicking or something, as in the aliens talking to each other, or they only hear what the alien is saying to them through their mind? No, they also hear aliens talking to each other in some way okay. that's unintelligible to them by mm-hmm. some by a stream of sounds that either sounds like bird talk or high-pitched uh, women's talk without a, woman, a female voice without being intelligible or something like that, not too clearly described. But they do hear okay. the aliens communicating audibly with each other. <laughs> now, one of the other things that is a part of the alien abduction theory is the, the probes or the um, implants that are put into these people's bodies, has there ever been somebody found that the implant is still there when they're um, talking about the abduction? There is some evidence of that. It's also clear that efforts are made to make sure that doesn't happen. But in one case in particular, uh, described and photographed in a book called Witnessed, written by a man named Bud Hopkins, published in 1996, there is an actual photograph of what appears to be an alien implant in the bridge of somebody's nose. Uh, it was The photograph was made, and immediate, almost immediately afterwards, this, the person of whom the photograph was taken was again abducted and the implant removed. So there have been a couple of pictures of implants, but how shall I put it? It's not an everyday phenomenon. It is mm-hmm. asserted that this happens, but the evidence aside from this one photographic case, is rather sparse. Okay. Now, there's been uh, a number of witnesses who claim that uh, when aboard an alien ship, uh, the aliens tend to cut into them, uh, do a number of different uh, surgery-style cuttings, and that when they come to, in their bedroom or wherever it is that they're sent back to, they end up having scars on them. However... Oh, sorry. No, go on. I was going to say, usually when uh, they talk about this or they someone writes a book on it, they claim they have scars, but they never show the pictures of the scars. Um, I mean, what is your thoughts on that? Well, again, I have to quote and cite my late colleague, Bud Hopkins, whose book, Witness, the one I just mentioned, contains photos of some of the scars of the kind you've just described, scars mm-hmm. that people had after they were abducted and didn't have before. And he, in fact, has a whole collection of photographs, or had a whole collection of photographs that I've seen of people's knees and elbows and thighs and shins where, picture, where scars like that had been found after an abduction and, as far as the abductee was aware, were not there before. So there is evidence, but how shall I put it? It's evidence collected by a few people systematically, but not widely. So... Mm-hmm the evidence for any large body of public opinion would be controversial. But I've, I'm convinced it's true. Okay. That's one thing that has kind of been controversial for a while, and I, that's actually the first time I've actually heard somebody getting picture evidence of the scars from these from these. Mm-hmm. Look up the book. I, don't, I forgot who published it. I think it was Random House or one of their publications, but the book is, if not in print, certainly available. It's called okay. Witnessed. And it's uh, published in about 1996, and the author is Bud Hopkins. An excellent book, and I recommend it. Okay. Now, through um, through all the cases that you saw, um, 
Are you familiar with the Phoenix Lights at all? At all? I know what they are. I know that they, oh, how shall I put it? They were a widespread sighting of large, low-flying objects over Phoenix, Arizona. I've hmm. forgotten what year, 07, 06, something like that, and um, widely reported. Yes, those are. that was a sighting not unlike the long series of sightings I described at the opening chapter of my book, which hmm. took place over the Taconic Parkway in the 80s, 82 to right. about 86. And uh, they went on for a considerably longer period of time. The the Phoenix Lights were a relatively short-lived phenomenon, but they were well attested, as is another case that I describe in the book in Stephenville, Texas in 08, widely reported at the time and very thoroughly documented. A large, rectangular, low-flying object at no more than 1,000 feet or so, chased by U.S. military jets, uh, flying both very slowly and then very rapidly, and hmm. tracked on radar at the same time. So right. all of that evidence is more than testimonial. It's testimonial and uh, instrumental. Boy, there was a lot of witnesses that, yeah, used their cameras uh, during that time of the Phoenix Lights. And I'm assuming through all of the cases that you've seen, too, that um, they had some type of picture evidence or video evidence. Yes, many of those cases do. You're absolutely right. And including ones in Belgium that are reported in my book uh, and widely reported elsewhere, and the Taconic Parkway sightings, as I said, plus the Stephenville sighting, uh, mm -hmm. those were all good, well-documented cases with instrumental evidence as well as eyewitness testimony. And they're not the only ones, for sure. Right. Um, have you ever seen a case where um, birds or animals of any kind are bumping into something that is as far as we see, clear, like it's a cloaked ship? I don't quite understand. I, you mean, have I, do I know any cases where animals have been, I, I don't quite, I don't quite get it. Well, like where animal, people are seeing animals run into something that is invisible to our eyesight. Oh, there are, there have been a couple no. cases that I've heard of that animals are running into things that as far as we can see, aren't there, but they hit, dead air, and just drop to the ground. No, that's news to me. I'd, I'd okay. like to hear about that, but I don't know anything about it. Okay. Um, Eric, do you have any other questions at the moment? Uh, at the moment, I do not. Okay. All right. Um, I think we'll take our next break here, and uh, we'll go from there. Okay. All right. Uh, you guys are listening to Paratruth Radio right here on Blog Talk Radio, and Eric, why don't you take us out? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Right, I think that was good enough. I, I hope so, man. I'm tired. <laughs> who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I, I, I've never done it. Right. <laughs>
Hello everybody, Sublimely Elegant here, as always, and guess what? I know you. Well, no, we've never met, but I do know you. I know you love Minecraft. I know you love the internet. Now, I also happen to know you love colorful language. So, instead of moping around all day, why don't you head on over to my channel and satiate your deepest needs. YouTube.com forward slash Sublimely Elegant. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. You are listening to Paratruth Radio. Uh, if you've been with us this whole time, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you're just tuning in, welcome. Uh, glad to have you here. If at any time uh, over the next 21 minutes or so, if you'd like to call in, ask any questions, uh, or even comment on anything, feel free to call us at 914-205-5558. Ladies and gentlemen, we are currently speaking with Don Dondari. He is the author of UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. Uh, Don, one of the things that we like to do on this show, uh, my cousin and I, uh, Justin and I, we have different views at times, depending on what we're researching. Uh, and I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, so I have a Christian worldview on pretty much everything we discuss here. Uh, one of the big discussions in regards to aliens and alien abductions itself is the possibility of demonic entities being these aliens and uh, causing these abductions almost as an affliction or an oppression. Um, there's been a book written by our last guest we just had on last week, actually. His name is David Rufino, and he wrote a book called On Holy Communion. Uh, he is a minister, and he researches alien list. abductions. And he's been doing this for many, many years. Uh, and many of his cases, uh, which are listed in the book uh, in full detail, are that these people who come to him with alien abduction stories, he's been able to tell them about uh, the Savior, Jesus Christ, and how calling on his name would be able to put an end to all alien abductions. And in every case that he's uh, been on, it's come true, where these people being abducted would call on Christ's name and the abductions would stop. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, whether or not it's possible that aliens, in theory, are more of a spiritual nature as opposed to actual physical entities or beings coming down from space? I disbelieve that. Okay. What I think has happened very clearly, I'll explain this. Mm -hmm. I think the person who was on last week was probably talking to people who weren't abducted by aliens, but who had some serious mental disturbances and thought they were. And they were able to, uh, he was able to help them as a therapist by invoking some other reason or rationale for them to lose that particular mental disturbance and replace it by another belief. I don't think what, I haven't read the book, so I'm perhaps mm -hmm. being unfair to this gentleman, but the, the phenomena I'm describing and have described in my book are not interpreted that way by the people who've experienced them, are not interpreted that way by me, and I don't think have anything to do with any particular form of religious belief. Mm -hmm. uh, now, in regards to the cases that you have related in your book, um, how do we know for sure that those particular abductees weren't just imagining it all themselves? Only their consistency. And that's mm -hmm. why I said at the very beginning of this talk that the evidence for 
extraterrestrial UFOs is, I think, incontrovertible, beyond reasonable doubt, and the evidence for the reality of alien abductions is on the balance of probabilities. That's a less rigorous standard of evidence. I think it's true, but I'm willing to accede to some doubt about that simply because the instrumental evidence is lacking or very weak. There are the scars we talked about, mm-hmm. which are obviously uh, something that's left over afterwards. The mm-hmm. consistency is the other thing. And that and the consistencies I describe in my book. First of all, everyone whose description of an experience of this kind has been put into my book first had a close encounter with a UFO, a, re- a consciously recalled close encounter. That is, they remember without any prompting or without any uh, intervention being in the presence at a couple of hundred yards at the, at the most distant with a low UFO hovering near the ground. Second thing they have in common is that every one of these people experienced what's called missing time. And that's a realization several hours afterwards or even the next day that they couldn't explain what happened between the time they saw that close encounter with the UFO or had that close encounter and a few hours later. A class or a typical case will be they remember the close encounter. The next thing they consciously remember is driving down the same road, although they're a couple of hundred miles further down, and an hour and a half or two hours have passed, and they don't know what happened in between. Now, that's where a lot of these cases start, or something like that happens. And what, what happens afterwards is that the lack of knowledge, that missing time, is filled in, either because people have what you might call recall flashbacks in which they actually remember what happened, or in other cases they dream what happened, or in finally, in, in third cases, and sometimes all of these three happen in the same person, somebody sits down with them, a therapist, not necessarily a religious counselor, and mm-hmm. teaches them to relax and to use various forms of relaxation methods, including, but not limited to, hypnosis to recall suppressed memories. Now, there's a large literature on hypnosis, which is obviously too much for me to go into here, but I do in yeah. the book to a degree, that you can actually retrieve blocked memories under hypnosis. Uh, and it's not just science fiction that that happens. Also, conversely, using hypnosis as a tool, you can make people, quote, forget, unquote, things. That is, you ask them what happened, at a certain time, they won't be able to recall. So a memory can be both blocked and unblocked by using the technique of relaxation and command, which is called hypnosis. And in many of the cases in this book, the people who've experienced missing time then begin to have flashbacks and dreams. And then they sit down with a therapist, sometimes a psychotherapist, a professional, sometimes an amateur who knows hypnosis, but is seriously interested in the topic, and they go over the missing time using appropriate relaxation instructions and hypnotic instructions. And the story that comes out is consistent between one of these abduction experiences and the others. That's why I say that the consistencies are what gives me confidence that the stories are true, but aside from, as we were saying, the scars, there isn't Mm -hmm. much instrumental evidence, which there is for the actual presence of UFOs. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in regards to uh, David's book, uh, among other uh, websites and whatnot that I've researched, uh, everyone who 
claims to have been freed from their abductions by calling on the name of Christ has also had stories that were very, very consistent um, in, in all aspects of alien abductions, uh, some of the most common being that they're abducted at night, they wake up in paralysis, can't move, but they see beings hovering over them or standing around them, uh, probing, being in a spaceship where there's a giant eye looking at them, uh, among number of other instruments coming at them, uh, being cut open, even in some cases being, uh, in my terms, possessed uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know, anyone else had just having something control them in a way where their mind is trying to do one thing, but their body's doing something different that they don't want to do. Um, so, I mean, all, they've all been very consistent, um, even in this, uh, the theory of them being demonically charged uh, abductions as opposed to this extraterrestrial being coming from spaceships. Um, which is interesting to me because, I mean, all the stories are very, very similar. Just the outcomes in which how these abductions end is different. Um, in your, in the studies that you've seen, has any one person been abducted more than once? Yes. That's a not uncommon experience among abductees. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I've dwelt on in the book, although I mentioned it in one chapter. None of the examples I gave discuss that because that's so complicated a topic and so controversial that um, it's just difficult to treat in a short chapter and I haven't done any original research on it. So mm-hmm. I'm ill-equipped to tell you anything other than that, yes, there are serial abduction stories, both from the same person and within the same family. And second, I have to say, in fairness to your author, that I haven't mm-hmm. investigated or read any of the kind of cases you're describing, so I mm-hmm. can't honestly criticize them from inside, so to speak. I just don't have right. that kind of data for my, the cases I, I know well. Okay. Well, thank you. You're welcome. <clears throat> All right. Um, I think that uh, we've had a pretty good show today. Um, Don, you've been an amazing guest. I am blown away by your intelligence and by your your knowledge of all of this. Um, do you have anything else to say to our listeners uh, before we go? <laughs> yes, I do. Buy my book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that. Actually, you can, you can get it on as an e-book or you can buy a paperback. I enjoyed writing it. I hope you enjoy reading it. Yep. Um, is there anywhere in particular that they can pick up this book? Uh, yeah, Amazon. That's a Amazon. good start. Amazon.com. And uh, you can certainly get it as a as a downloadable Kindle, and Barnes and Noble sells it as a Nook. I know that too. All right. All right, Don. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I, I was uh, very impressed and happy to have you on. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. I enjoyed being there, and um, good luck for the rest of your show. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, folks, that was Don Dondiri, author of UFOs, ETs, and Alien Abductions. As I told him, I think he's one of the most intelligent people I've ever talked to <laughs> as far as uh, in the paranormal field. Um, I know you've talked to quite a few, and um, what did you think of him, Eric? Oh, he's very intelligent. Um, definitely different from other guests you've had on, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, very interesting, intriguing. Um, 
how to explain it. Like at times I was can't think of the word, but almost hesitant as to what I should ask next because I knew he was gonna hit me with something crazy. Right. Well um, <laughs> it kind of makes you dumbfounded when you're trying to come up with questions for him just because he is so highly intelligent and he's done the research and we read through the book, but we're not going through the same experiences or looking through the same files exactly as he is. He just right. what he wrote. I mean, I think like for us and for anyone out there uh, who does a radio show or a TV show or whatever, when you have a guest on and you're interviewing them, whether it's about their book or their, you know, whatever story it is that you're interviewing them about, you want to do your best to test them and to test their knowledge and their right. beliefs and so on and so forth. And I think with a guest like Don, it's just hard to, hard to come up with that, you know, um, you're trying to get into his mind and think of well, what's the best way I could test him here. But quite honestly, the stuff that he knows is nothing or is much more than we can understand with some of this stuff in regards to the research of aliens, you know, and extraterrestrials. Right. Um, and I'll be honest, like even in his book, there's words that I just, I wouldn't understand. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what? <laughs> well, and you know, and this is to anybody out there, what we put out there through our thoughts and our beliefs is completely different than some people, just as we experienced with Don Dundeary and between Eric and myself, where he didn't really know much of the spiritual or Christian side of things. So he couldn't answer only just by the scientific side that he's researched. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was kind of funny to hear you throw those out there. And he was just going by his scientific evidence and not really explaining anything. Touching more basic, yeah. I, more so defending his own as opposed to committing as to why exactly it's not demons. Right. Per se. Um, which is cool. I mean, you know, uh, it, that's fine. Um, and it, it's kind of touched like on why he believes that because there is right. enough evidence to say yes, there's extraterrestrials. Which the UFOs that people see, I can't explain either. But the alien abductions, just going through um, talking with David, he convinced me that all the ones that he came across were demonic in nature yeah is that what all of them are who knows but all the ones that he came across were demonic in nature and it honestly surprised me because all all of the research that he's done on the subject coincides i think with the scientific part of it as well right i mean and like don was you know when don was explaining the uh commonalities between all of the uh, uh cases that he's seen he's written about and all those cases are extremely similar to those that David had written about as well. Um, pretty much anywhere we look in regards to abductions, they've been the same. They've been consistent all the way around. Right. Um, and that's what I was, you know, the one thing I was explaining was, or not necessarily explaining, but just mentioning was that I noticed how the abductions are similar, but the way they're treated are different. And the final outcome is different in which, for example, with David's, the abductions seem to have ceased after calling on Christ. Right. Um, If they were to come back, it was almost instantaneous that when they said the name of Christ and believed it, it was gone again. Right. Right. Um, Which I know, I mean, I don't know completely about the whole aspects to uh, like the hypnosis and all that. Um, But when, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if people that are, uh, 
hypnotists or uh, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, whatever, if they're actually trying to help people just cope with these so-called abductions or if they're actually trying to rid them of it, uh, which I think think is the big difference there. Because I'm assuming that many of them don't try to get rid of them because they don't know how to get rid of them, um, considering we don't have much science behind it as to why they're happening. Yeah, the hypnosis – and hypnosis is so scary to begin with. But hypnosis is making them remember things that happened. Well, if an alien or an, or a demon, whatever it is that's doing this, is implanting memories in their head, or let's say just from the demonic standpoint, if the demo- demon is putting implanted memories in their head that they were abducted by aliens, that's what they're going to remember. Right. I don't perceive that if they were under hypnosis, uh, a demonic oppression or a possession would come out unless the demon came through after the hypnosis is done because the host mind is kind of subdued. Mm-hmm. So in those particular cases, I would think if they were demonic, the demon would have come forth when the hypnosis was finally um, done and they were under hypnosis. What do you so, think? Wait, I'm sorry. So you're saying that if, if they're being hypnotized, then you're thinking the demonic entity would come forward during that time? Yeah, because the the host's mind, or lack of a better word, the host's mind is subdued to the point where the demon could come forward if it's a demonic oppression or possession. So, all right, so you're saying that if through hypnosis uh, the demon can come forward and pretend to be this somebody, you know, this person, and give them the memories that it chooses to give them in a sense. Or if... That- if it comes through as itself, like, as itself. well, you see like that is a little, I mean, it's possible. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't think in my personal opinion and in my research, uh, I don't think a demon would come forth free willingly. You know, um, the whole idea of a, of a demon and a Satan himself is to make people believe that they don't exist. Um, because if you believe that they exist, then everyone's going to realize that, well, hey, if Satan exists, then God must exist, and we're going to go to God because he's stronger than the devil. Um, so Satan does everything in his power to make you disbelieve in him, um, because if there's no devil, then why do you need God? Right. You know, If there's no sin, why do we need Christ? Um, so I think unless the demon, like in my experiences with uh, the demonic depression and affliction, it has to go along with the demon's plan, I think. If there is a greater outcome by him coming out to those who have put the person uh, into hypnosis or whatever, mm. then, yeah, he'll do that if it's going to further his goal. His goal. Um, otherwise, demons, like we look through scriptures, demons do everything in their power to pretend that they're just the person, that they're not really there until you call upon them through the name of Christ. Um either through prayer or by commanding them in the name of Christ. And only then do they respond. Um, so I don't know. I, like, I don't know. I don't think uh, hypnosis will necessarily do it. I think it's possible, but it's definitely not highly improbable. Right. Right. Well, I think this is the best paranormal radio show or one of them out there, because I don't think there's too many people that will debate the Christian side to the non-so Christian side. <laughs> Without some kind of argument, right? I appreciate your views, and I'm pretty sure you appreciate mine. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, folks, uh, we're getting close to the end here. Um, 
Eric, why don't you give them our info and uh, lead us on out of here for the evening? All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, again, hit us up. Uh, you can find us on Facebook.com forward slash slash Paratruth Radio. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter.com forward slash Paratruth Radio. Uh, and both of those options, Facebook and Twitter, uh, hit us up. You know, ask us questions, follow us, like us, uh, share us with other friends. Uh, come on listen and listen to the show. I mean, if you like it, your friends will like it. Uh, we'd love to have you join us. Um, on that note, I think it's about time for us to wrap up. Uh, so until next week, my name is Eric. I'm Justin. And this was Paratruth Radio. Peace. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.